0: If you have a Bible and want to follow along with me today, we're going to be in Numbers 31 and Judges 6 if you want to mark your place and follow along here in a minute. Um, this is our last Sunday in this building for a while. Uh, if you're new with us, uh, we are, the next three weekends we're doing uh, revival nights, revival uh, services. And we announced it uh, at the end of last week's service Um, So coming up um, next weekend, Friday, Saturday night, we're going to be in uh, Ripley, Ohio at Rankin Hill. Um, The next weekend we're going to be Friday and Saturday night in Georgetown. And the next weekend will be Friday and Saturday night here in our home court, home team, Mount Org Park. We're super excited about it. I shared a little bit about why we're doing this last week. Amos 3 verse 7 The NLT version says, Indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. And so people who are prophetic, God will give downloads to them to speak out what he's wanting to do. Um, And that could be dreams, visions, ideas, words. um, And very often we'll start talking about it, and then God will confirm it, and then we move forward. And that's kind of what happened with this. And I shared, uh, one of our ministry team members had a dream a year or two ago, kind of about this stuff. Um, Another ministry team member had a real strong prophetic word from God about a month ago or so. And then a few weeks ago, um, I was praying on a Wednesday in one of our prayer times uh, here. Actually, it was July 6th, it looks like, because I wrote down the date. Um, And I wrote down all this after it was over, because it was such a strong... Prayer time, such a strong experience. Um, we were finishing up that morning, and I want to read you my notes of what, what happened in that moment. Um, we were finishing up prayer. We'd been here almost two hours at the five a.m. So it's going on seven, and you know I was winding down. We were all winding down, like you know, time to get on with the day, right? And uh, right before we ended, I felt the Lord say to me, um, "Pray for this nation." And I've prayed a lot for this nation, and so I was like, ugh. Like, in my mind, I was like, that, I'm gonna, if I get going praying for the nation, there's a whole lot to pray for. I'm going to be here another hour or something, you know? Like, And I was kind of like, oh, Lord, I'm not really wanting to pray for the nation this morning. We prayed about a whole lot of other stuff. But I was like, okay, all right. You know, surrender in that moment. Pray for the nation. So I started praying for the nation, and... Very often, you know, I start with leadership, the president, vice president, the cabinet, praying for the nation, right? Praying kings and all authorities, as Paul says. And when you spend a lot of time in prayer praying for the nation and for lots of things, um, at least when it comes to our nation and and the big problems we face, um, I've just come to the end of praying for things to change in natural means, because what I feel like the Lord has revealed to me is we need just need a revival in this nation, like a massive Holy Spirit nationwide revival. That's what is needed in this nation uh, to, to, if I could say it this way, to save America. And uh, when I say that phrase, uh, some Christians, well-intentioned Christians, would judge me as being a n- nationalist And judge my intentions. When I say save America, I don't mean save the government of America. I mean save American people. And if our culture is this bad, um, that's not looking real good for millions and millions and hundreds of millions of people for eternity. And so I care about people. In fact, I was praying for the government one day, not this particular day. And I felt like the Lord said to me, don't pray for the government. Pray for God's government. And he reminded me that in one of the most oppressive governments in history, the early church spread like wildfire and saved hundreds of thousands of people within a few decades of Jesus ascending to heaven. And so even in oppressive governments, we are to pray for God's government, the the, the kingdom domain, rule and reign of Jesus in the hearts of people. And and we will pray for our – I don't think he was saying don't pray for the government at all. I think he was saying shift your focus, right? Because his, his word tells us pray for kings and all those in authority. But he was telling me, you need to pray for my government, my rule and reign, even in those people's hearts. Don't In other words, don't just pray, Joe Biden makes better policies so our gas gets cheaper. <laughs> pray for Joe Biden's soul, right? Pray, pray for the cabinet's souls. Pray for the fear of God and the conviction of the Lord on them. And, and so I'm just giving you a backdrop to, I got into that prayer time, and I've prayed for the nation a lot, so... You know, I pray, pray for the leaders and then I'm like, God, we need a revival, you know, and then, I, and then you get helpless because no person can bring about a revival. It has to be a sovereign move of God, not by might nor by power, and that's human power or strength, but by the spirit of the Lord. And so then you just get desperate. Lord, pour out your spirit on the thirsty ground. Lord, rend the heavens and come down. Lord, baptize us in your spirit. Holy Spirit, we need an outpouring. We need a revival, Lord. Only you can do it. And all we can do is intercede and wait on you and stay in that upper room until it happens. And I've prayed that many times. And so I jumped right to that. Like, ah, I forget. Just bring a revival. Do it already, Lord. And as I was praying, I, I thought of Evan Roberts. And uh, in the Welsh revival, he asked God for 100,000 souls, which in proportion to population was a ginormous number comparative to today. And I was inspired by that, and I said, God, my f- faith was rising through prayer. I said, God, I ask that you give us 10 million souls in America this year. Do it, God. You know, my faith was rising. And as I was praying that, I saw this huge, in my, like a mental vision, real strong. I saw a map of America, and I saw a tsunami wave, and it was going from, like, Michigan down to, through Ohio down south. And it was, it was flowing, and it was going westward. And uh, I had the thought in that moment, tsunamis are created by earthquakes, usually, you know. And so I pray God, shake this world and send a wave of revival across this nation. Right after that, I had a vision of myself preaching outdoor in in local parks. And I heard God say, do two nights in each town. And I kind of knew what he was referencing, and I was waiting on him. And then I saw this mental picture of a map of Brown County, and I saw Ripley. Georgetown, Mount Orb. I was like, what about the other towns? And Nope, just those three. Boom, boom, boom. And so, as I mentioned, this coming Friday, Saturday night, we're going to be on Rankin Hill. Uh, and I, there is one change to the times of that. Both of those nights are going to be at 7 p.m. Because the Rankin House is actually open till 5 p.m. And so, um, we will be there both of those nights at 7 p.m., starting at 7 p.m. The, the other two weekends, the Friday nights will be at 7, and the uh, Saturday nights will be at 6 p.m. So we'll start a little earlier on Saturday, because God's going to do a whole lot. Um, and so we want to make sure that anyone coming from other churches can be fresh as a daisy for their church services on the next Sunday mornings and uh, take the Holy Spirit fire of God back to their home churches with them. Amen. Come on, somebody. But those are our church services for the, for the weekend, so we won't meet on Sunday mornings. Maybe some of y'all should go to other churches on Sunday morning take some of the Holy Spirit fire of God and just spread it around. <laughs> That'd be awesome. So let's dive into Numbers 31 and Judges 6. And I want to preach on, the title of my message is The Coming Revival. That's real creative. The, the one that's coming next weekend. Or today. A little later today. Um, Numbers 31 The Lord said to Moses, take vengeance on the Midianites for the Israelites. After that, you'll be gathered to your people. you got one major battle left to fight, Moses. Then you're going to die. You'll be with me in the spirit is what he's saying. And so what he's referencing is these Midianite people who, you know, prior to this had seduced the Israelites into major sin. And if you remember that story, Balaam, the false prophet, had been hired by Balak, an enemy king, to curse the people of God. And he actually went to do it, and the Holy Spirit was so overwhelming him, he he went to curse them, and what came out was blessing. I love that story. Three times he blessed God's people, and he was paid money to curse them. And uh, I love that story. I love it, I love it, I love it. An undeserved curse does not come to rest, Scripture says. So if the enemy's cursing you, accusing you, the accuser of the brethren has been cast down, amen, for those of you who are saved believers. um, If other people persecute you, curse you, you don't need to get fleshy with them and fight with them. Hey, you let them say whatever they want, all right? An undeserved curse does not come to rest. You can bless them. And so... Balaam ends up blessing the Lord's people, but we learn later in scripture that he, Balak, the king that hired him, was really upset about this. He's like, What are you doing? (laughs) Well, I told you to curse him, you know? And so they were a super spiritual culture, so a cursing of this people he thought would help them defeat them, you know, and and win against this this great army that was coming against them. So it didn't work, and then he's upset and he kind of fights with Balaam. And then Balaam, we learn later in Scripture, tells them, well, hey, here's what you should do. You should have your women go in and seduce the men of Israel. And then once they sleep with them and they have all these relationships, get the women to get them to worship your false gods and draw their hearts away from the Lord because the Lord is the one that's that's winning these battles for them. And so they do it, and the Israelites fall for it. And the men commit sexual immorality. They, they intermarry with these... Women who serve false gods, it's not a racist thing. It's a religious thing. And even the New Covenant says don't be yoked together with unbelievers because if the person that you share your soul with does not value what is most important to you, it's just going to be difficult and you're going to be fighting battles instead of having synergy and being equally yoked. Anyways, that's a whole other sermon, but same principle here. And so they're living in this sin and God says, hey, I want you to take vengeance on them, on the Midianites. Now, why is God doing this? We're going to see in Judges why it's actually to help future generations. Um, and listen to jump down to verse 15 in Numbers 31. It says this. He, uh, they, they go fight a battle, and they were supposed to like, take them all out, and they let like, all the women live. And listen to what Mo- Moses says. Have you allowed the women to live? He asks them. He's upset about this. They were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and enticed the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord in the Peor incident so that a plague struck the Lord's people. Moses is upset. He's like, the women were the worst ones. They're the reason that we got into a mess in the first place. Now, I want to pause here and where this really isn't what this sermon's about, but I know for me when in my younger years when I would read stories like this in the Bible and I would see God's telling them to like eradicate another nation, it's kind of like, ooh, that's like Old Testament mean God, right? Anybody is that just me that like, oh, this feels kind of weird. Like like Jesus tells us to love our enemies. Why is God in the Old Testament? And you have to understand um, I'm going to summarize this quite simply and quite briefly. But in the Old Testament, pre-Jesus, same God, by the way, pre-Jesus, he's trying to establish a people on earth. We're under the covenant of the law, and he's trying to establish a nation on the earth in the physical, a physical nation. And so warfare was, you could say, quote unquote, needed. Why? To establish this nation to bring about the Messiah who would fulfill uh, the old covenant, the first covenant, the covenant of law, and bring about the greater covenant, which is the spiritual covenant, right? So he's trying to establish this nation, and you've got all these enemies coming against them. And you also have to understand, scripture tells us that these Canaanite nations and the Midianites as well would fall into this category were extremely evil. And I don't know if we have a category in our modern day because of the way that the salt of the gospel and the Morality of the scriptures has influenced worldwide culture. Modern Western culture has been so influenced by Christianity that our culture is actually a lot more civil and moral than even a lot of these cultures back then. And you can—that's a whole other study on history to get into. Um, but Scripture tells us that a lot of these uh, cultures would like sacrifice live children. To the god Molech, right, a stat bronze statue of a god with his arms out, and they would put children, right, zero to five years old. This isn't abortion, right? Although abortion, I would say, is just as as bad as about what I'm about to say. But they would lay children on this and light a fire under it and let those bronze hands heat up and cook these children to death. As that's the type of are you getting the picture? Uh, sexual immorality on a scale we can't imagine in America. Go read the story about Sodom and Gomorrah, and you'll start to get a picture. These were Canaanite nations at that time. Same types of things. And so some skeptics and cynics uh, read the Old Testament and go, Oh, God said kill nations, and, and he told his people to do warfare and kill people. I could never worship a god like that. Let me ask you a question. Was America justified to commit warfare against Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany in World War II? I think most people with common sense would say yes. Why? Because they had really, they were really evil. They had evil policies, right? And so they were partnering with that evil to a great extent. They were exterminating millions of Jewish people, and it wasn't just Jewish. It was handicapped. It was people of color. Hitler just liked the Aryan race, the the white folks, right? And and even different uh, ethnicities of white folks, right? And, and he was very narrow in his view. They were killing, slaughtering, genociding millions and millions and millions of people. Were we justified as a nation to judge these acts as evil and then act in the natural to stop them? I don't know. Is a police officer justified to stop someone who's shooting someone else? Shooting someone else I just saw a video this week, unfortunately I saw this. <laughs> it was like a news video of a guy walking into a barbershop and he started shooting the barber and the guy in the chair jumped down and he turned around, he had a gun and he didn't know he was concealed carry and he turned around and shot the guy shooting the barber. Now he was an off-duty police officer. Now is, he's not going to suffer consequences for that. Why? Because it ag- it's against the law to kill people, <laughs> right? And so this guy walks in, starts committing murder Judge and jury is, he's caught in the act. Somebody stop him, right? So is that guy justified? I think most people would say, yes, he was justified to do that. Were we justified to stop Adolf Hitler? Yeah, I think most people would say we were justified to do that, to, to bring justice on the earth, right? The governments of the earth don't bear the sword for nothing. So the most high God of the universe who is the standard of morality, who is judge and jury, can look at a nation, he can look at an individual and go, I'm judging you right now. And you're really evil. And if I don't stop you, you're going to spread evil all over this earth. And we're going to be back to Genesis 6. And it's going to have to be a worldwide flood again. Are you getting the picture? So I think we can stop sitting in judgment on God and start trusting that he's a good and loving God. And he's also just. And so he's working out a plan. And part of that plan is establishing a people To bring about the Messiah. Once the Messiah is here, fulfills the law covenant. Now we're under the covenant of grace, right? And so now we don't, God doesn't need to establish a physical nation. Because now he's done what he's needed to do to create his spiritual children. All Christians, all believers in Jesus are spiritual Israel, scripture says. We're adopted sons and daughters through the blood of Christ. And so God doesn't need the physical nation anymore. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities, spiritual forces of evil, and the heavenly realms. By the way, that was true back then as well. All those evil nations were under the influence of principalities. It was demonic in nature. But again, just painting a picture theologically, helping you trust the scriptures and trust God as you read stories like this that are a bit disturbing to modern ears. Amen? All right. So he tells them, He's basically telling them, commit justice on these people. They've they've done their their evil nation. They're committing evil against you. They're going to drag you down and keep you from establishing the nation in the promised land. They're not in the promised land yet, right? And they don't take out the women. And so Moses says, have you allowed the women to live? In other words, this would be like America, World War II. We defeat them. We, we take out the nation, but we let the Nazi SS officers live. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, wait, you let Hitler and the SS live? Are you kidding me? They were the ones that were the problem. Are you tracking with me? Yes. All right. You're still disturbed by the story. I can tell. <sighs> it's another sermon. Let's keep going. And so Moses is like, this, this was the problem in the first place. They do not do, f- here's the point, they don't fully obey God. In Moses' generation, they don't fully obey God. They don't fully fight the battles they were called to fight. And eventually, they get to go into the promised land, so they think, it all worked out. But what they didn't realize was just a few generations later, now they've created a whole other problem for their children's, children's, children's generation. And let me show you what I'm talking about. Man, I'm wanting to preach that right now, but i got to show you this scripture in, in Judges 6. So jump to Judges 6. This is somewhere between, I think, 120 to 200 years after the story we just read. So they've moved into the promised land, they get established there, but they don't, again, the, the, even the generation, Joshua's generation, they didn't fight all the battles they were called to fight. They, were, they left giants in the land, they didn't fully defeat the people uh, of, that nation, of the nation they were taking over, the Canaanites. They didn't, uh, they, and so, again, there was intermarriage, they created lots of problems, so on and so forth, and you get the book of Judges. And starting in Judges chapter 6, we're a few generations into the Judges, and this is what it says. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. So what's causing the oppression and the impoverishness, the poverty, poverty and oppression? it's compromising their faith worshipping false gods idolatry all right new covenant version greed is idolatry and you know worshipping good things worshipping your hobbies more than god putting hobbies above god is idolatry right worshipping the good things of this world and this life more than god is idolatry and so oh idolatry is alive and well worshipping your your sexuality or your gender identity more than what, who God says you are. That's making an idol out of your sexuality and out of what, what you want to be or what you feel like inside. Are you tracking with me? So does our culture struggle with idolatry? Yeah, okay. Yes, 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 yes. America struggles with the idolatry of self. It's the sin of Babylon. It's the sin of Satan. I am and there is none beside me. America as a nation wants to put itself above everybody, and uh, we as individual Americans are under that stronghold. I am. The individual, moral relativism, the individual is the determiner of truth. Man, I can't get on that. We will not get to what we need to get to. But that is idolatry in America, right? That's the main idolatry, and that is the, the devil's idolatry. That's greater than making a little, that's worse, I should say, than making a little wood statue and bowing down to it. It's pride. It's the sin of pride, which was the devil's sin. I know what's best. I can determine right and wrong. And so the Midianites were oppressive, and they were, they were causing oppression, massive oppression, and, and poverty okay, in the nation. All right, let's, let's keep reading, and then we'll, then I'll preach the rest of it. Let's do that. Verse 11, it says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. A winepress was a pit in the ground, so he's down in there. You're supposed to thresh wheat up on level ground where the wind can blow the chaff away. So he's down in there. His work is a lot harder. Why? Because of the oppression of the enemy. He's living, he's living his whole life under the oppression of the enemy. He's living in the promised land where it's flown with milk and honey, but he can't even enjoy the freedom and the blessing of God. Why? Because of the oppression of the enemy. And so he's threshing wheat down in a wine press, probably used to it, probably not thinking much of it. It's his life. It's been his whole life he's been doing this. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites. Everybody say, all the Midianites. Midianites. Leaving none alive. What's his point? Gideon Your nation is suffering because a previous generation did not finish the work that God gave them to do. Your parents were complacent in their faith. They stopped short of where God was calling them to. I'm calling you to finish what your parents, your grandparents, and their parents' generation started, and you're going to finish this. You're going to defeat all of the enemy. That's an exciting calling. That's what God is calling him to. You see, because the previous generation, 120 to 200 years prior, did not finish the job, the Midianites repopulated, and guess what? Even more populous and, and even a bigger problem in Gideon's generation. Massive, massive oppression totally impoverished the nation, Getting a download. There was a sexual revolution in the 1960s, and there was a great revival in the 1970s. God was moving in the midst of the devil moving. By the by the way, the sexual revolution wasn't a good thing. I'm talking about you guys know what I'm talking about. 1969 into the 70s, Woodstock, free love, make love not war, just sleep with whoever you want. That that was pre nineteen sixties. That really was taboo, and so the devil was really doing something. And culture, there was a massive cultural shift. All right, and it in fact it, it impacted every area of culture. And there were some good battles fought, but the church, by and large, over those next few decades, did not fully fight the battles it needed to fight to stop pornography. To warn children about pornography. And I'm not talking about even children in the culture. I'm talking about children in the church. Hugh Hefner and all the the porn people who started all these companies. Right? Are you guys tracking with me? And now we have the problems we have today. Now it's our generation. And the problems are much worse. It's even more oppressive. It is impoverishing this nation. It's impoverishing you and me. Not, I'm not just talking our wealth or our, oh, the gas is more, although that could be uh, one symptom. <laughs> I'm talking about spiritual poverty. Amen. We are Laodicea. America's Laodicea. I'm rich, wealthy. We don't need a thing. Oh, And then we complain about the little things. Gas is high. Oh, da, da, da. And Jesus says to his church in America... I counsel you to buy gold refined for me in the fire. You think you're wealthy, don't need a thing? You're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Wake up. Buy gold refined in the fire. What is that? True, honest faith that suffers the trials, being willing to be persecuted because you're fully obedient to Jesus. That's faith refined in fire. And the church needs to stand up we need to stand up. We need to repent ourselves first and foremost. We need to call our churches, our own churches, to repent, our own families to repent. Because, hey, listen, as Leo Tolstoy said, everybody thinks of saving the world, nobody thinks of saving, or changing the world, but nobody thinks of changing themselves. Oh, change America, change America, complain about America. What about you? Are you contributing to the problem? And the problem is spiritual. Are you fully right with God? Are you fully obeying God? That is the issue for you and I here this morning. If my people who are called by my name, God says, will humble themselves and, re- and pray and repent, turn from their wickedness and seek my face. God says, I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. It doesn't say if the culture repents. It says if God's people repent. Revival starts with the church. Judgment starts with the house of God. We're not to judge outsiders, but we are to judge ourselves, to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. And so God's calling Gideon to finish what a previous generation started. And you know the story. I hope you do. You can read the rest of it yourself, the rest of 6 and chapter 7. He struggles with insecurity and fear, but in the end, he's obedient. And I want to encourage somebody today. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's the belief that something else is more important than your fear. Courage is obeying God no matter what you think, whether you feel like it or not. Man, there are some people in this church that are so courageous. Leaders in major companies in the Cincinnati area who are over, lots of people, have major responsibility, who are being told to promote Gay Pride Month and have their departments promote it, and they are refusing two people in our church in this situation, and they're at risk of losing their jobs. And I say, "Well done. Stand firm. Pray for them. Pray for them. They told me this just a couple weeks ago. I found this out, and I was like, praise God. We're being salt and light. Praise God. And I told them, I'm so proud of you. You're being salt and light. This is salt. This is light. Stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. And so Gideon has courage. And listen, it's, the courageous attitude is, even if he does not, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? We will not bow down and worship your idol, dude. And our God is able to save us. But even if he does not, we're not gonna do this. So courage is even if God doesn't move, even if I'm called to be a martyr, even if my job is called to be a martyr, let me tell you something, school teachers. You need to stand firm. You get furries in your school, do not comply. Do not comply. No, I will not treat you like a dog or a cat. You're a person. If I as a Christian who actually know that's a stronghold of a, a demonic stronghold in your life, I'm actually going along with it by okay little kitty cat, go to the office and get your hall pass and okay, don't do it. That's all I'm going to go on that subject. Stand firm. Whatever industry you're in, you're going to confront these issues in the coming years if you haven't already. You need to pray about what it looks like for you to stand firm. Not get mad. Be, be respectful like Daniel. Go read the story of Daniel. Tactful, respectful, but I will not budge. Tactful, respectful, but I will not bow down. Tactful and respectful, but I will not affirm something that is, goes against common sense. I will not do it. Coaches, oh, got a transgender boy that wants to compete in girls' sports. Forget Christianity. Let's talk, let's talk common sense, guys, right? <sighs> but Christi, Christianity heightens our responsibility to be salt and light, to go, I know the truth, and I'm not gonna go along with this. <sighs> it's not about politics. It's about people. It's about being salt and light. Pray about How the Holy Spirit would lead you to convict you to stand firm in your place in the world. So here's what God tells Gideon. Go save the nation. Go defeat the Midianites, right? No, it starts with you need to cut down the idols in your father's household. If you've been around free people for a while, even when we had another name going back, the OGs you might notice that maybe every other sermon stuff like i just said comes out it's not even what the sermon's about but it comes out why is that because a few years ago god showed me that i'm called to be a gideon and he wants me to bring revival (laughs) but it starts with cutting down the idols in your father's house my father's house is the church my calling is to the church and if the church is full of idolatry, we can forget about seeing revival in the culture. We can forget about seeing, seeing lots of people saved. If we do see them saved, it'll be a false salvation. We'll just invite them into our, our strongholds. And our churches will be more like strongholds in prisons than places where people come to get free. Churches that refuse to speak on sexual morality and uh, eternal judgment... And they think by being quiet, they get more people to come. And, you know, it's like setting up dates with Jesus. My job is just to arrange the the dates. No, it's not. Your job is to preach the truth and let the Holy Spirit convict them and sort it out. That's your job. It says so in the Bible. That's my job. I don't know what Bible you're reading. But pastors and churches that refuse to speak truth to to very important cultural issues, especially sexual morality, eternal judgment, Here's what those churches are like. They're like, a, they're like a prison cell and the doors open. But all the people are in a stronghold. They're not free. The Christian people, there are not free. They're not living the truth. They're not being so online. And so lots more people will come because you have a broader reach because you don't offend people. So you, you're inviting whole lots of people into your church, which is not free people. <laughs> it's a stronghold of the enemy. God wants free people my people are free people says the Lord and if we're going to free people let me tell you something we got to be free we got to be free of the fear of man we got to be free from the strongholds of the culture we got to be free of pride of life I know what's best no scripture tells us God knows and we need to follow him we need to humble ourselves to what scripture says that's truly being free and if we want to set people free from the bondages of the enemy, from the kingdom of darkness, it's about being submitted to the Lord. And so Gideon cuts down the idols in his father's house. And this is the beginning. And guess what? People aren't happy. They want to kill him. He starts a fight in the nation of Israel. He's trying to save Israel. From the oppression of the Midianites. He's causing division. Bible says you shouldn't cause division. Paul also wrote in the Bible, there must be divisions among you. There must be. Cause some of y'all ain't right. <laughs> some of y'all are living wrong. And if a pastor stands up and goes, well, I don't want to offend anybody. I'm going to preach in such a way that nobody gets offended. And all the people who have strongholds in their lives and are agreeing with the culture can just go on right about on their way to eternity without God, potentially. That's a problem. That's, a, that's peace, peace when there is no peace. That's, that's not unity. We are to unify under the name of Jesus and under his word. That's our unity. And we have a whole bunch of people in a church that aren't living For the name of Jesus, but claim him as their king, that's hypocrisy. That's double standard. And again, my job, pastor's jobs, are to call that out and to truly bring unity, to let the peace of Christ rule and reign in our hearts, to let his word divide joints and marrow, soul and spirit, to rightly divide the word of truth. And so Gideon starts a war, (laughs) And his father responds wisely and says, man, if Baal's a real God, he can defend himself. And so nobody goes after him. Of course, the Holy Spirit comes on him. He blows a trumpet. He must've been a trumpet player. Trumpets are big in the story of Gideon. And uh, it says 32,000 people rally to him. The Spirit comes on him. He blows a trumpet, 32,000. I bet he's thinking, it's working. It's all happening. I have an army. We're going to win. I bet he's pumped. Then you get to chapter seven, verse two. And the Lord says to Gideon, "Um, you have too many men. I cannot. I cannot. Listen to this. <laughs> There's nothing our God cannot do. And yet God says, I cannot deliver Midian into their hands. The 32,000. Why? For Israel would boast against me saying my strength has saved me. Now, is it true that if the 32,000 stay and they actually win, that it was still God that did it all? Yes, because they're actually facing hundreds of thousands of soldiers. If you read the story and understand what it means when it says they were like sand on a seashore, hundreds of thousands versus 32,000, that's still a God miracle victory. But they have enough men to think that even though it was really God behind them doing it or going out in front of them and doing it, they'll think it was them. They'll think it was their plan. They'll think, oh, man, we're just awesome. We have so many good warriors. That's what it was. And they'll start to take the credit. And so God says, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to let that happen. So he says, anyone who's afraid can go home. 22,000 of the 32 go home, down to 10,000 now. Now Gideon's probably thinking, uh-oh, I was kind of hoping it would start with 32 and then like go up from there to like 320,000 maybe. Now we're down to 10,000. And then God does this weird sorting technique. He says take them to the river. There, oh, by the way, there's still too many. I've got to sort them again. Take them down to the river and have them drink. And the text in the NIV, at least, is, is a little confusing. And, and here's what I believe it's saying. He says, take those who lap like dogs. There's only going to be, and he counts them, there's only 300 out of the 10,000. The rest are more civil people who are doing the whole hand scoopy thing. If you're kneeling down at a river, are you sticking your whole head in there? Or are you are you, lap, are you doing this? Are you getting the hands cupped and... You know, okay, hey, I'm a warrior, but I'm a civilized warrior, right? And I believe, actually studying this this week, God gave me revelation to it, and I believe that it was actually the ones going like the dogs, getting their whole head in there, that God chose. And there was less of them. Why? Because it's a natural thing to to not want to look like a barbarian, right? Act like you got some manners, right? It's interesting, the revelation I had was what would cause 300 of them to get to the river and not use their hands and shove their whole face down in there? You ever see kids playing soccer on a hot day and there's a a Gatorade five-gallon cooler and there's some cups right there? Some of the kids go over, kind of the lazier ones, they get a cup and while they're doing that, (laughs) the one that's been running his butt off Runs over and just goes, ah. (laughs) Why? Because he's been working. He's thirsty. Ain't got time to get a cup. It would have took me five more seconds, but I ain't got time for that. I'm too thirsty because I've been working hard. So God sent everyone who was courageous but had some fear, he sent them home. I want the fearless ones. God sent the ones home who were fearless, but they cared a little bit too much what everybody else thought of them. He wanted the undignified ones. He wanted the ones who would work for him because mm, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And to bring in a harvest for God, it's work. He wanted the thirsty ones. Who are working for God? Who are seeing and do some stuff? And they're like, "No, this. We will not. We will not be satisfied with this. We want full deliverance. We want the fullness of God." And I've been working and I've been praying to see it. So I'm a little more thirsty than everybody else. And so when I get to that river of God, oh, I'm going all in. Ain't got time for a cup. I don't care what people think, and I'm not afraid. That's who God's looking for. The Gideons, the 300. Sparta's got nothing on these 300. And so God takes these 300 and he says, that'll do. That'll do. And he uses them to bring about this great victory. Now, the battle plan was a bit interesting. Remember that part? They don't have swords or they don't have any weapons. None. No weapons. Why? Because our weapons are not the weapons of this world. They had trumpets. Again, if this was David, they would have had lyres, which is like a a guitar. All right? So I'm with David. I'm a guitar guy. But the Idiots a trumpet guy. All right? He's like Miles Davis. All right? So they had trumpets. They had... Clay jars, and in the clay jars, they had torches. And this was the battle plan night before. I love God's grace. Gideon, if you're still afraid, if you're still insecure, take your servant and go down to their camp and just listen. And he overhears a dream that one of them has of them getting defeated by by Gideon. And one of them goes, surely this is nothing other than the sword of Gideon, and God's given all of us into his hands. The enemy Sent to defeat them. Can't do anything but bless them. That's interesting. And so he goes back and he's like, this is it. And he rallies his troops. And he says, guys, get your trumpets and your, your, your clay jars and your torches. It's on. <laughs> and I love this phrase. He says, when we start, when I give the signal, this is a leader right here. Watch me. Do what I do. It's in the scriptures. That's what he says. Watch me. Do what I do. Blow the trumpet. Right? Put that down. Light the torches. Break the pots. And say, for the Lord and for Gideon. And then what? Then when do we get our swords and win? <laughs> Slaughter? We don't. Just by doing that, just by being obedient to a plan that in the natural makes no sense, God is going to defeat the whole army for us. Woo. Why trumpets, torches, and pots? Trumpets were the praise. Worship is warfare. And we dethrone principalities by ushering in the presence of God. We enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Let me tell you something. It's very important. If, if, I, I want to encourage all of you to come to these revival nights and come to all of them if you're able. And here's the deal. If you're right with God, if you've been seeking him, if you don't have anything to repent of, if you're already revived, if you're awake and you're ready, you're coming to worship. And I mean worship, sing, clap, dance. We're literally, the sound of your praise will drive out the principalities of these areas. Why the torches? It was the light of God's presence, the fire of God, the power of God, the might, Not by might nor by power of man, but by the spirit of the Lord. Tongues of fire, the rushing and violent wind, and outpouring of his spirit. A move of his spirit. And that's what happened when the enemy was confused. Why the pots? The clay pots represent us. We hold this treasure in jars of clay. And it represents our service. And they broke them. God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. God, let me not just live a complacent, American Christian life. yeah, the culture's bad, but oh well, my life's pretty good, and I'm going to heaven, so I'm just going to sit and watch Netflix every night, not really care about the hundreds of millions of people in this country that are on their way to hell. How selfish of you. How selfish of me at times. God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. God, give us a revelation that hell is real. God, let us live with eternity in mind, and it will change everything about how you parent your children. It will change everything about the way you do work in your workplace. I had this weird thought this week. I thought, man, if Jesus comes back like in a couple weeks, I'm, gonna, I'm so glad that we're going after this revival, even though it's a lot more work, even though it's harder than just coming here on a Sunday morning where everything's set up and we have nice, we have nice lights and even fabricated fog. Like, it's just amazing. It's so easy. This is so much more work. You have no idea. And if Jesus comes back soon, I'll be so glad that he will find us doing what he told us to do, no matter how difficult it was. I wonder if you'll be there doing what he's called you to do to intercede to praise. Or will you be where you want to be on a Friday or Saturday night? I don't know. It's important. It's important. And so we break ourselves. We ask God to break us. We go all in. We hold nothing back. And the sound of the breaking, the sound. Can you imagine 300 clay jars up on a mountainside surrounding just boom. It's the breaker anointing. We get broken over what breaks God's heart. We praise and worship him and it breaks things in the spirit. We drive out principalities. And that's, (laughs) then the kingdom is ushered in. Then people just get saved like you wouldn't believe. Why? Because you drove out the powers of darkness that were holding them in bondage. If you don't do the warfare, I'll preach to them blue in the face. And they'll go, eh, still skeptical, going home. And so it's so important. When we go to these three areas, it's important that we all go in, go all in to pray and to worship. And I would say that's the most important part. Prayer is not preparation for the battle. It is the battle. And so I do want to mention the Wednesday before each place we're going to be. So our Wednesday house of prayers will still be here at 5 a.m., but at noon and 5 p.m., we're going to be at each location the Wednesday before. So this Wednesday we'll be here at 5 a.m., but at noon and 5 p.m., we'll be in Ripley at Rankin Hill, and we're going to pray and do prayer walks and all kinds of stuff. And so uh, same thing, the, the next Wednesday we'll be in Georgetown uh, at, no, at noon and 5 p.m., and the next Wednesday we'll be up here at the park at noon and 5 p.m. to pray. Might go hand out some invite cards or whatever, but, but definitely going to pray at those times. So please try to make one of those times. If you want to go to battle with us for this county. If you're not from Brown County, why are we focusing on Brown County? Because uh, God told us to. <laughs> it, it, we are a regional church, but um, we draw people from like five, six county area. And that's awesome. I love that. Um, but if we can't, it, Brown County is like our Jerusalem. And then Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. It, it'd be like trying to win the world, but you can't even disciple your own kids. Right? you got to start with you, then go to your family, then this is our county, then to the ends of the earth, right? So we got to start here. So if you're not from Brown County, let's say you live over in uh, Claremont County or or one of the others. You know who you are? You're the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And you can go read their story in Numbers 32. But they were these two-and-a-half tribes of the nation of Israel who had good land on the east side of the Jordan, which was not in the Promised Land. But they're like, man, we kind of like this. Can we just settle here? And God basically tells them, yeah, but all your men first have to go in and fight the battle for the promised land. And once the battle is won, then you can go back and have the land that you wanted. And let me tell you something. If you're not from Brown County, you're a Reubenite, a Gadite, half-tribe of Manasseh. You come to these revival nights. You help us take this county for the name of Jesus. Because a breakthrough in this county will cause a breakthrough in the surrounding areas. Because we're digging a well of revival here. It's going to spring up. It's going to become a river that flows. And this whole county will be impacted. But the region around it will be impacted. Are you tracking with me? And so you're like, man, I'm not from Brown County. I don't don't get the passion behind it. That's all right. Come fight with us. And then later we'll come fight with you. Amen? I want to close today. By just telling you a little cool prophetic heritage. This is our time. God showed me this past week even that this year is really important. I feel like he showed me why he, he highlighted you're doing this this year over the last couple weeks. Even though the timeline was short, it would have been like, oh, let's just wait till next year. We'll have more time to prepare. He was like, you're doing it this year. And it's so important. You may not realize the heritage of freedom. That Brown County has and the role that it's played in the history um, of this nation. Um, first of all, Ohio was conceived in freedom. The Northwest Ordinance of eight nine or I'm sorry, 1787. Ohio, you can research this later on your own. It was the first state born free. Every other state admitted to the Union before it had slavery as part of its history at some point. Ohio never did. That's interesting. In the year 1803 a man named Colonel John Poge moved here with his family and founded the town that eventually became called Ripley, Ohio. He had been warded 1,000 acres for serving honorably in the Revolutionary War to gain uh, our freedom from Great Britain. He was a freedom fighter, and though he owned slaves at the time, he actually longed to set them free, which he could not do in his home state of Virginia. So he moved to Brown County, down on Red Oak Creek in Ripley. He settled there, and promptly, one of the first things he did was set his slaves free. He became known as a staunch abolitionist. He joined the fight for freedom. And because he was the founder of Ripley, that area, it drew other like-minded people. And that's why Ripley became known as an abolitionist stronghold, if you will, uh, in this area. And that's why men like John Rankin, uh, about 18 years later, 17, 18 years later, in 1822, John Rankin moved here from Tennessee and started as a minister in Ripley. And of course, you probably know the story if you're from around here, uh, but he and his family helped free thousands of slaves on the Underground Railroad. You might not realize, though, that he had a friend named Harriet from Cincinnati who would visit him and ask him stories from his work with these slaves that were making their way to freedom. And he told her one story in particular that of a slave who had crossed in the winter time, and the ice, the river was covered with ice, but it was breaking up, and her captors were right behind her, and she had a, her own baby in her arms, and she was jumping from ice block to ice block to get across the river, and this story so inspired Harriet that she wrote a book about it based on this real life person in, that came across in Ripley, Ohio. And that book went on to not only be a national bestseller, but it's the book that Abraham Lincoln said started the Civil War because it showed the nation the horrors of slavery. The book was called Uncle Tom's Cabin and John Rankin's friend was Harriet Beecher Stowe. So I find it profoundly interesting that people, freedom fighters, and events in Brown County, Ohio sparked a revolution that led to the freedom Of all people, not just in this area, but in this whole nation. Now, what's interesting is in the year that John Rankin moved here, a man named Ulysses S. Grant was born that year in 1822. And a short time later, his family moved, settled in Georgetown, which is right here in Brown County. That's why they call us the land of Grant, of course, at at times. He went to West Point Military Academy, and when the Civil War started, he started as a kind of a lower-ranking leader, but he worked his way up, was super successful. And by the end of the war, he was like the main general, and many historians credit him with winning the Civil War. Now, think about that. People and events from this county sparked the revolution that would be the Civil War to win freedom for all people in this nation. And then a man who was raised in Brown County, who said his whole life, that'll always be my home, is the main leader that was used to win the war. Now, why am I getting so passionate about that? The influence that people from this county had on the freedom of this nation is just incredible. There's a That is prophetic for what God wants to do in our generation. There is a freedom heritage in this county. And this is a prophetic word from God that now it's our time in our generation. There's a leadership anointing in this county. Of course, Leslie S. Grant went on to be the president of the United States. There's, we are anointed for freedom. We're anointed for leadership in our generation, this county. And this year is significant, 2022. See, when I was researching this past week, I realized that John Rankin moved here in 1822, which was exactly 200 years ago. Isn't that interesting? Georgetown, the land of Grant, celebrating this year 200 years from his birth 200 year anniversary of general grant's birthday exactly 200 years now what about mount orb mount orb the third week will be in mount orb what's what's special about mount orb what's interesting the name mount orab you got to say it that way for siri right Do you know it used to be spelled with an E originally? And historians have debated where that name came from. Most people think it was from Mount Horeb, and we dropped the H. Now, that's a good name, the Mountain of God. That's Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments were given. That's awesome. I love that prophetic meaning. I have a book, though. I read it the year that I moved back here to start this church. History of Brown County, written in 1883. There's a chapter on it about the churches of Brown County, the heritage of this area, and every single town in this area, how it came into being. And there's debate about where the name came from, but the earliest account is that it's actually from the story of Gideon. And it's named after the rock at Oreb, O-R-E-B, where Gideon defeated the enemies of God and delivered his nation From the oppression of the enemy. We are Free People Church. God has said the coming revival shall be one of deliverance, setting people free. So you better get ready. This is our time. God's gonna move in power. And I'm excited for what he's going to do during this revival. But it was prophesied this past week at our Wednesday prayer time. Somebody was praying. Matt, our associate pastor, was super in the spirit praying. And he's like, revival's not starting next Friday. It's starting Sunday. So would you guys stand? And we're going to ask God to come today. As we close, I'll ask our ministry team to come on up and uh, prepare to do some ministry. I'm going to do a simple invitation this service. And I'm going to ask you if, you if you want to receive from the Lord today, just put your hands out in front of you and say this short, simple prayer. Say, Holy Spirit, come. Yes, God. He's going to come on some of you for conviction, some for salvation. To believe the good news that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross. But he is alive and well because he rose from the dead, defeating death in the grave. He's going to come on some of you for healing. Could be physical, could be inner healing. He's going to come on some of you for deliverance from spiritual oppression, depression, anxiety, Suicidal thoughts, anger, fear, addiction, so on. He's going to come on. He's going to come on you for what you need and what he's doing in you. And so, uh, we have a team member. Would you like to share your story real quick? Yes, I'll just come down. Kathy shared this with me, something that happened this last week, and I said, I think we're supposed to share that Sunday. This is what God is doing.
1: Okay, so on Thursday, I was at a healing service, and um, it was a couple hours away from here, and one of the ladies that came up, that she, um, she had basically had pain all over her body from top to bottom it can be overwhelming as if when you're praying and you don't really even know where to start, I've had that happen before though Um, we have prayed over people that are hurting from top to bottom I prayed over a man once, a a FedEx driver, he had got out of his vehicle to go deliver a package and got hit and his whole body was hurting from top to bottom and I prayed, I started at the top and I prayed all the way down his body and, and, and God did move on high that day So I had that in mind with this girl. I thought, I'm going to do the same thing. She's hurting all over. I'm just going to pray all over her body. So I put my hands at the top of her head, and I I had thought, I'm just going to pray. She had mentioned migraines, but the other things on her body, she didn't give them by name. They weren't diagnosed things. They were just things wrong with her hurting pain, but no name to it. The only thing that had a name was the migraine. So when I put my hand on her head to start praying, I felt like the Holy Spirit told me no not to go down through her body the way I did that FedEx man. You know, because I had a plan and my human reasoning was I'm going to do the same thing I did before. But the Holy Spirit was very clear. He said, no, this is an attack of the enemy. And so I opened my eyes and I stopped praying. I looked at the girl and I said, "Um, when did all this start? And she said, my whole life, since I've been a child, I have been in pain. I said, Well, what was your childhood like? And she began to cry. She couldn't even answer me. And she just shook, and she was so broken. And I just, I knew then it's demonic. It's a demonic attack. The enemy is holding her in bondage. I I didn't ask her to say anything. There were still a lot of people still in the church. I don't even think anybody had left yet. So I didn't want to embarrass her by asking her specific questions. So I just asked the Holy Spirit to help me know what to pray. So I helped her, and I renounced a, a spirit of abuse, a spirit of shame. And then when I got to unforgiveness, she had trouble with unforgiveness. I could tell it was she was so hurt. And I had to explain to her, I told this girl, I said, well, everybody has the ability to be used either by God or by the enemy. And if we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we're used by God. We get the privilege of getting, used, getting to be used by God. But if we have the enemy, um, if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, the enemy can use us like a vessel. And that's what happens is when bad things happen, it's demonic. Like when people do bad things to you, they're really puppets of the enemy. The enemy is the one, the evil. You're allowed to hate the evil. But I helped her. I finally asked her, I said, do you think you can forgive this person? She said, people. She made it clear it was more than one. And um, I said, I said, okay, people, do you think you can forgive these people? And she said she could. So I had her renounce the spirit of unforgiveness. And then I had her take back authority that they had taken from her her whole life. And then when I got to the part where I um, was commanding, I was breaking the spirit off of her. I was commanding the, the the release, the hold, for enemy to release his hold on her. She went to the floor. She, she went out in the spirit, which is not a really a scary thing if you've never had that happen. I, do, I just want to say it doesn't always happen when we're praying over people, but sometimes it does. And, I, and my experience is when it does, it's God is doing a mighty work. Yes. Yes. So I went down with her, and I, and I just kept praying for the enemy to release his hold. And then I prayed healing over her whole body. Everything, every bit of damage the enemy had caused from childhood had to be reversed in the name of Jesus. And when she stood back up, she was totally whole. She was completely whole. She was. She was just. Um, I. I caught sight of her as I was praying over other people, and I would see her smiling. Even she. She. She was just so um, amazed, and everyone there was too. I think I was even amazed. We never get like bored we're always excited with what God's doing and I was amazed at like her whole life she's been in bondage under the enemy and and this and she was set free it really didn't have anything to do with physical and I just wonder if there aren't people here that are the same things happening that there you think that you are physically sick but it's actually the enemy Oh, keeping you in bondage over things that need to be yes. um, renounced and you need to be delivered from. She was delivered in a moment, a lifetime of abuse, yes. and, and, and the enemy had kept against her. She was delivered in just a few moments and raised up whole and well. Yes. Um, and and it, wasn't, um, it wasn't as hard. I don't think as what she thought it was going to be. I mean, she was able to walk out free. So I just, I think about that song that they sang. I didn't know they were going to sing that song today, but you came in here broken. You can walk out whole. Yes. You don't have yes. to leave the way you are. So I do encourage you to come Amen. up and receive. Prayer. Do, you want, do you want me to do that? Why don't you say a prayer over?
0: Her? She's going to pray over you guys okay. and pray. We feel led to pray. And then if you want to receive ministry, come on up. And then everyone else can be dismissed.
1: Okay, so um, I'm I'm going to walk you real quick through the same thing I walked her through. So um, and if you are around somebody who. Um, you notice starts to sway help them sit down in their seat like if you sometimes when the enemy is releasing his hold we become light because we've had such a heavy burden on us and it can make you feel light so just sit down back in your seat if you feel light don't um don't fall so here's what i'm here's what i'm just i mean this is just the way it is i'm gonna ask you um to repeat after me in the name of jesus I renounce the spirit of shame. shame. I renounce the spirit of guilt. guilt. I renounce the spirit of abuse.
0: abuse.
1: I renounce the spirit of unforgiveness.
0: unforgiveness.
1: I take back all authority
0: authority
1: that these spirits have taken from me all my life. I repent In the name of Jesus, I repent for allowing these spirits to guide me, for listening to the lies of the enemy instead of the truth of God. Okay, you don't have to repeat after me anymore. In the name of Jesus... I break off these spirits, off of these people. Every person in this room that is is being attacked or pressed down by the enemy, you must leave now. Release your hold on these people. They are free, free indeed. In the name of Jesus. Amen.